0: I believe that the Half Earth Solution or some other comparable major one-shot effort to, um, without further concern, save a large part of Earth's natural area and its species, I, I think that this should be considered in any evaluation of national policy, that it should be seen as the quality of a society in a particular part of the world as something that's as desirable as a health of the society itself.
1: Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. I'm Sarah Powell from Esri and I'll be your host today. You just heard renowned biologist and author E.O. Wilson speak to the importance and urgency of protecting nature, a mission that requires businesses, governments, and organizations of every kind to take action. Wilson's solution to heal the troubled state of our planet is the Half Earth Project, a coordinated effort of leaders in conservation, government, and business to conserve half the planet for biodiversity. Here, ESRI Global Conservation Director David Gadsden learn about the threats to the natural world and how society and business benefit from conservation-minded policy making.
2: Ed, thank you so much for being with me today. It's such an honor to be with you. Could you help us understand the implications of loss of biodiversity and the loss of species?
0: I'll try. I've made estimates mostly on the fossil records before the coming of humans and then afterward. And I've calculated it's very rough, even almost like guesswork, how bad the extinction rate is. But I seem to have gotten some agreement among those who've done basic research on it from fossil records and uh, inference from the speed with which species are moving down the red list toward extinction and so on. Uh, extinction rate has gotten up somewhere between a hundred times and a thousand times what it was before humans came along. I've I've put it that half the species on the world at the rate at which the extinction rate is increasing now. Half the species of the world could be gone
2: by the end of the century. So a lot of the listeners on this podcast series are business leaders and decision-makers. Do you see a role for them to help address these challenges?
0: So the question comes, how can people other than the biologists who are worrying with these figures and trying to save the species that are right on the brink of extinction help out? Well, in business, I think that it should be understood that taking care of nature, of tying the whatever the business is engaged in in the world of economics, tying it into a healthful environment is a big step forward, and this is occurring more and more. I think that we're going to be in a position before very long where it's ordinary for businesses to take a pledge. I recently attended a conference in San Francisco, composed mostly of corporate CEOs. And they were speaking about, or they were addressing the main purpose of the conference, what's called the new paradigm. And the new paradigm in creation and, and the growing of corporation is that it pays to shift more and more benefit. Coming from the success of businesses or uh, in addition uh, attempting to improve it that more of that is done a shift from uh, shareholders to stakeholders with a stakeholder including the environment and not just the employees and the people who use the product and so on but the environment the more that that is put into play and emphasized the data show and they were displayed by a couple of the speakers at this conference, in often a a, a very important increase in profits. So it's good business to openly support activities and even including restraints that improve the environment, your potential customers and employees and associates trying to save.
2: What are the implications for humanity for the decline in species and loss of biodiversity? Are there specific human populations that would be affected more than others? I believe,
0: and I think more and more leaders in economics and business administration are beginning to see it the same way, is that the more of the natural environment that we save, including especially the environment saved in a condition that allows most of the biological diversity, the species of plants and animals, to survive there. The more of it uh, that is done, the more of the the benefits to the people that live there and for the country in which the reserves uh, are located as a whole. And there are a number of reasons for that. The more secure the natural environment, then the safer the safeguards it provides from loss of productivity, the incursion as invasive species, pathogens that cause new diseases, and generally healthful environment in the physical changes that would be harmful that are prevented by having a stabilized natural environment uh, present in large quantities.
2: What is the Half-Earth project? And why are you pursuing it?
0: When I was a um, a young population biologist, ecologist, beginning my studies of ants, one of the things that I did eagerly was to go to the South Pacific in order to study and compare the ants, the numbers of, and the kinds of species that are found on different islands, You know, like New Guinea versus the Solomon Islands versus... New Caledonia and Vanuatu and so on. And from those data, one of the things I did was to begin at Harvard to plot the numbers of species of ants I found against uh, the area of the island. In effect, how much natural environment was on a given island or set of islands. And um, the curves are very consistent across the islands, and later I found that they uh, were very consistent uh, in other groups of organisms, including birds and other animals. And um, with these data, I started discussing with Robert MacArthur at Princeton, and we devised together the theory of island biogeography, and that was a way of explaining why these area species curves exist, why you get a consistent and predictable rise in the number of species as you increase the areas of islands, going from small islands to big islands. It just occurred to me at one point that uh, because the larger the area that you can set aside as a reserve on an island or anywhere, the more species and, therefore, the more the natural environment you save uh, as a result.
2: What were you seeing in that work?
0: One of the results that we had discovered, too, was that just a 10% of an increase in area of island is enough to double the number of species that would survive there. So I started messing around uh, with numbers. Uh, And apply this formula to a larger portion of islands, if that were possible. Or, for the first time now, we were beginning to think about a similar area of islands and nature reserves and parks and so on. And I uh, came upon this figure in 85 species, which is what we would expect if we set aside half of the island.
2: What did you do next?
0: You know, a lot of countries and parts of countries and the sea, we could put aside half. And that led to a book called Half Earth uh, about the way to save most of the biological diversity, most of this wild species of plants and animals. Half the Earth, 85% from a generalized formula. Of course, if it's... uh, Forty-five percent? That's okay, maybe. Forty? That's a <laughs> big improvement. And, of course, three-quarters, that would be a big improvement. But these the best figure just seemed to me, intuitively, asking people and asking political leaders and so on to consider half might be doable. And so this book came out in 2016. And soon afterward, uh, the International Union for Conservation of Nature held, with lots and lots of conservation organizations participating, held its quadrennial every four years meeting in Honolulu. And I went to that meeting expecting to be skewered for many reasons I probably hadn't even thought about. Uh, at proposing we start setting aside, you know, half of large areas to save most of the biodiversity. I was happily surprised to discover, however, that almost everyone there I spoke to thought that was a good idea, including the heads of all of the conservation organizations I talked to, including even the head of the International Union for Conservation of of Nature. He said, let's give it a shot. And indeed, we started talking about it as a moonshot. It was sort of like instead of continuing on, going to trouble areas around the world that are constantly cropping up as parks are removed, or there's a natural area that's cut over instead of being made into a park, where a species is about, certain species is about to go extinct, and we'd better do something about getting the area where it lives saved or even increased, and so on. Instead of all that, uh, why not just go for One big solution, find a way to set aside half the world for nature. And if it doesn't sound insane, then it's certainly worth considering. And it's now that that idea is generally now spread around the world and it's seen as a reasonable
2: goal. What are your suggestions about how the human footprint could be better managed regarding our urbanization and uh, industrialization of agriculture and other pressures?
0: I believe that the Half-Earth Solution or some other comparable major one-shot effort to, um, without further concern, save a large part of Earth's natural area and its species, I, I think that this should be considered in any evaluation of national policy, that it should be seen as the quality of a society in a particular part of the world as something that's as desirable as a health of the society itself. After all, they're they're both very much linked as helpful, not detrimental to the economy of an area. And, in fact, that's often easily made the case. So the next big thing is to do the research to identify the best part of the half or whatever approach to a large fraction of the area is agreed upon. And we need to know what species are there. In most cases around the world, we do not know most, and certainly not all. And we need to know what the impact would be if you turned um, a large portion of the area. Of course, you know, you're know you not just cutting off half and saying half will be the people will be living here and half... Uh, It would be natural. It can't be done. But you're engaging in a lot of gerrymandering, where a sliver here, a forest patch over here, a a private estate turned over to be a natural area, very common in this country. And uh, that's why we need maps. And the maps should include careful studies of the wildlife. That's the word often used to mean biodiversity, that is, a variety of species of animals and plants.
2: You've mentioned a bias in our passion for species, where as large mammals were most attracted to preserving large mammals. What are your thoughts about the importance of all species, or the smaller species on the planet?
0: When the public thinks of natural areas, when they think of nature, uh, they tend to think of wildlands with natural vegetation, with this beautiful forest sweeping grasslands of open terrain and so on. Uh, And they also are most interested in big animals. That's natural. After all, humanity has lived off of big animals for the times we originated as a big one ourselves. So this has led to a very considerable bias in how we regard nature and how we regard Uh, or consider the best way to save nature in the original state. Natural vegetation within which live big animals. That's what people see when they want to go to Yellowstone or one of our national parks. Yet, for the larger animals, let's say for the vertebrate animals, fishes as well as mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians, include our biggest animals make up only about uh, 60,000 of the 2 million known species on Earth. The rest consist, uh, beside the plants and fungi, of what I like to call the little things that run the Earth. And these are the insects, and these are the other arthropods of isopods and crustaceans and nematodes, worms, and so on. An endless array of Creatures, animals, real animals, uh, that may be as little as only a millimeter long. They make up hundreds of thousands of species, a large percentage of which are remain unknown. When we go to, into the committed attempt to save the natural world, we have to take into account this miniature world we actually live in, and that is where we know the least in the course of my career, I've worked a lot with ants. We don't know very much about ants, even though they're everywhere around us. We estimate there are about 15,000 kinds of ants known at the present time, species that have been identified and defined. I've discovered and named about 450 of those in my career. That's how easy it is to go out and discover something new. The actual number of ant species in the world could be as much as 25 or even 30,000 species out there. And now, even when you go to other groups of the tiny creatures, tiny compared to our size, you get a better feeling for how much is unknown.
2: Ed, thank you for being here. It's a great honor. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to EO Wilson for illustrating how protecting half the Earth is a critical and achievable goal. To learn more, download our free ebook, The Science of Where*. Discover the Value of Location Intelligence Technology at go.esri.com forward slash location intelligence.